0: This is a production of Dirty Mo Media.
1: Hey, my name is Rick Houston, and you're about to go for one heck of a ride during this week's episode of the glorious, white-knuckled, God-fearing, spun-out, and half-turned-over Racing Stories podcast. And you know what? You better make sure that the person keeping track of the laps you run isn't cheering for somebody else. The fall race in 1978 at Atlanta International Raceway, yeah, it was a wild weekend. Dave Marcus held an impromptu press conference after first-round qualifying to announce that he would be quitting Austerland Racing at the end of the year. Then, Dave backed off on the final green flag lap to allow Richard Petty to pass and win the event. But did Richard really win the race? Yeah, that's the question. Here's how it all went down. First of all, you probably don't remember the name Dewey Good. but when he was released as Dave Marcus's crew chief by team owner Rod Osterland a couple of weeks before the Atlanta race, it essentially sealed the fate of a young driver who would one day be known as the Intimidator. Here's Dave Marcus. Later in the year, uh, they fired Dewey
2: Livengood before the Rockingham race.
1: Towards the end of the
2: year? Towards the end of the season. And Mr. Osterund always told me, he said, remember, we never have a problem. It's just a phone call away and we can resolve it. Always remember. I said, okay. Well, Dewey called me up, told me they fired him. I'm like, what? Yeah. We're running. I believe before at Rockingham race, we were second in the points. I mean, and had a chance to win it. We weren't out by no means out of the picture of winning the championship. And they fired a crew chief? I mean, what in the world? I was extremely upset. I tried calling Osterman. He would not take my phone calls. I don't know why to this day.
1: And since that Dewey had been let go without his knowledge, Dave told one and all at Atlanta that he was done with the team.
2: When we went to Atlanta, I still hadn't been able to talk to Rod Ostrano. So when we qualified at Atlanta, I was so upset about that situation that after qualifying, and I don't remember where we qualified, but we qualified good, and uh, – I went up in the press box and I told the news media that I was quitting Australand, and that was I was upset because of them firing Dewey because it just
1: it wasn't right. A young driver by the name of Dell Earnhardt had been given a tryout by Australand in 1978. Although Dave would insist years later that Dell's presence wasn't an issue, it sure did sound like it was in newspapers of the time. With Dewey's firing, tensions reached a boiling point. During the race, they spilled over into outright contempt for one and all to see. Dale finished fourth at Atlanta in a second Osterlin car, one lap down. In the next week's Grand National scene, Dave said, I don't think enough effort has been put forward on fielding just one car building two or three cars is not the way to win races here's how angry dave was as the checkered flag was almost within sight
2: i could have won the atlanta race i and richard on that last restart were running first and second and i know Donnie allison will disagree but when Richard and I went in the second turn and down the back straightaway, I had a good car length lead on Richard and going into the third turn and coming off a of four, I just ease off the throttle a little bit and we run through there side by side and I let Richard win the race because I was so mad at You Osterling.
1: let him win the
2: race. I did because I was so upset with Osterlund. I did not want to put him on the winner's circle. I had just quit the race team on Thursday afternoon after qualifying.
1: So I ran second. Wait a second. Did Dave just say what you thought he said? He backed off to let Richard win. So Rod Osterlin couldn't get any Winter circle money the following season. Looking back years later, it was a heat-of-the-moment decision that Dave would probably like to have had back.
2: I regret not winning that race at Atlanta because, you know, that would have went on my record. But I just was so mad. And I just, you know, you do things when you're mad sometimes. But just like when I went up in there and quit, I had my mind made up. I I, I, I uh, But, yes, I eased off that throttle and made it look really, really good and let Richard be ahead of me in the checkered flag.
1: Dave left Osterland at the end of the year, and he was replaced by Dell Earnhardt, and you know what happened from there. So the checkered flag was dropped on Richard Petty, and that was that. He was the winner. Richard had not won since the Firecracker 400 at Daytona in July 1977. His 42-race winless streak had been broken, right? Nope. Donnie Allison. Driving team owner Hoss Ellington's Chevrolet was listed on the scoreboard as finishing in fifth place, one lap down. However, Donnie was ushered into Victory Lane while Richard headed for the garage. What in the world was going on? Way back in the olden days, there were no computer transponders on race cars. The scoring of an event was done by actual living and breathing human beings and that meant that mistakes were sometimes made or advantages taken. Richard was later declared the winner and was escorted to the press box for his post-race interview. Fuming over the turn of events, Donnie Allison left the racetrack.
0: And I'm down there at the, at the NASCAR signing shack. Billy Jr. says, I want you to go in there and let Joe Epps show you what he didn't win the race. I said, Billy, I'll go in there, but he can't show me. Because I did win the race. So I go in there, and it's me and Joe Efton. So I open the door to the back room, and it's Maurice Petty and Bill Gazaway. And I said to Maurice, I said, You take this race with you? even though you know you didn't win it. And I closed the door. Before I went back there, I showed Joe Epton where I made my laptop, how I made them up, and the whole nine yards. Well, I walked out the door, and Bill Jr. standing there, and I said, Bill, you take this race with me. And I'll whip your butt where your mom won't know who you are. <laughs> I went and got Pat, and we had some people over there for the first time. And I got Pat, and said we're going home. And we loaded up, and and at the time I was I was totally totally hacked off because yeah everything that was going on. There was plenty of evidence there that it wasn't right what they were trying to do,
1: and they wouldn't adjust. It was at that point that another player came into the mix. 16-year-old Brian France, the son of NASCAR president Bill France Jr. Brian had worked the race as Bobby Allison's score. As Donnie's team owner, Hoss Ellington, talked with the reporters, Brian told Hoss, The lady scoring your car screwed up. She was yelling for petty all day. And sure enough, there's a picture in the next week's issue of Grand National Scene showing a lady identified as Donnie's scorer with her hand on Richard's shoulder as he meets with NASCAR officials in an attempt to straighten out the mess. Oss asked Brian, Would you mind telling your dad what you told me? Brian didn't even hesitate. I ain't going over there. My daddy would tear me up. Regardless, officials dug back into the scoring cards. While Richard was in the press box, he was informed that Donnie had been ruled the winner. Richard headed for the exit, but not without a sarcastic parting shot. I'm going home to celebrate running second. We thought we'd won the race. We hadn't
3: won a race all year. That was the year we didn't win a race. And we said, okay, last race of the season, we finally won the Gum race. Somebody said something about that. They had messed up on the scoring stuff. I guess they flagged me the winner. The way I looked at the cards and the way the people that were doing the cards looked at it, I showed them where their mistakes were, and they said, okay, you won the race. So then we go upstairs. Okay. Then, I don't know, we're up there talking a little bit and not very long. They found out that they thought, and according to the way they done the the looking at the uh, scorecards, that Donnie actually won the race.
1: Back home in Hueytown, Alabama the next day, Donnie got a call from a reporter.
0: That, I Bolton called me the next morning and said to me, quote, you know they gave you the race. I said, no, sir, they did not give it to me. I won it.
1: What did Richard Petty think? What does he still think about the call to score Donnie Allison as the winner?
3: You know, I still think we won the race. I still, <laughs> I still think was one of them deals where... It was uh, sort of under-the-cover deal, but it don't make any difference uh, at which point we wound up second. So we was really disappointed because uh, we didn't win a race that year, and that, that, that didn't look good on our re- resume, you know.
1: Yeah. So let's recap that Atlanta weekend. Dave Marcus quit Austerland Racing and then tried to give the race win to Richard Petty. And Richard was flagged the winner. But Donnie Allison went to Victory Lane. Scoring then gave the win back to Richard before it finally landed with Donnie once and for all. Got it? Good. You might have an aspirin? I've now got a headache trying to sort out that debacle. Richard was no stranger to disputed wins and scoring foul ups. He was flagged the winner at Lakewood Speedway in Georgia all the way back in 1959. It would have been the first win of Richard's career, but another driver protested and was awarded the victory. The other driver, none other than Lee Petty, Richard's dad, in July 1969, David Pearson took the checkered flag at Beltsville Speedway in Maryland. This time, Richard protested and was given the win that was rightfully his. There were no hard feelings between Petty and Pearson. Pearson admitted to reporters that even he didn't think he'd won.
3: We was in Bellsville, Maryland, somewhere, and me and Pearson was racing, and uh, they wound up um, giving Pearson the race. And I said, i got to go check these cards. This ain't right. So (laughs) I got to on the cards, and uh, I
1: showed them where we won, checked it again. We was a lap ahead of him. Richard did admit, though, that a good score maybe worked the system a little bit.
3: Back then it was done, the scoring was done by hand, and you had a really good score. You could make up a little time <laughs> on, on the scorecard. You
1: didn't make it up on the racetrack.
3: But, you know, I don't know. I might, I might have won some races because of it. Now,
1: know. did you pay a bonus when that happened?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I told him, just put it down. We'll, we'll go do our part, you know.
1: My name is Rick Houston, and thank you for dropping by to check out another glorious, white-knuckled, God-bearing, spun-out, and half-turned-over racing story. Share what you thought about this glorious white-knuckled, God-fearing, spun-out and half-turned-over racing story with us at Dirty Mo Media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. <music> glorious Racing Stories is a production of Dirty Mo Media, hosted by me, Rick Houston. This show is produced by Andrew Curland. Executive producers Mike Davis and Jason Schultz. Artwork is by Sean Sin. Special thanks to Leah Vaughn. Broadcast audio is credited to ABC.
2: Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo. Dirty Mo.